1: Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt, produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. My son just got back from seeing him at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. Hope you're doing well. It is a post-Super Bowl, post-NFL podcast, but don't worry. I'll get you through the offseason with all the things you need to know about the business of football. And speaking of which... I sat down with Ross Tucker, my partner in crime, on this podcast for so many years. Of course, he has his popular podcast, I have mine, but we joined forces this week, so a simulcast with Ross. In a few minutes, you'll be getting to that. I first want to do some rants about what else is going on in the business of sports. We get to some pure NFL talk that really... Gets you understanding things when I get with Ross, talk about voids and franchise tags and cap and contracts and what's going on now around NFL offices. Before we get to that, a couple things I want to go over in the business of sports this week. First of all, the All Star game. The NBA All Star game followed a couple weeks later after the NFL All Star game, and they share this in common no one cares. And when I mean no one, I don't mean the public. I mean the players. Now, listen, the NFL has gone from a game to a flag football game and some other fun stuff to make it fun for the players while they get their money for showing up, etc. But the NBA with a score of 200 and something to 180 something or 190 something, it doesn't work. I mean, it was better before with the NBA All-Star Game where they did have that ELAM, whatever it was called, late in the game where they had to ha- actually had to compete. I don't know why they got out of that. That made players play hard, play defense. For some reason, they got out of that and they back to this system where no one cares. And here we are with these, you know, it's not even attempted defense and it's just running up and down. There'd probably be less scoring if there was no one on the court to play defense. So everyone's usually like complaining and everyone's saying, why should we care if they don't care? But no one's really coming up with some good ideas because maybe there aren't. To make the all-star game an interesting product for people to see, we already have the three-point. We already have the slam dunk. What about the game? Should we even have the game? Well, here's some far-fetched ideas. What about part of the game is just the bigs, right? Just the bigs. So you got to be six eight and over and play that. I'd find that somewhat interesting. And then, conversely, part of the game is just the smalls. You know, when when NBA or college teams or high school teams practice, usually the bigs go off and the smalls go off. Different coaches, different planning before the team gets together. So make part of the game the bigs versus the bigs. Make part of the game the smalls versus the smalls. Have a half-court game. Have three-point, I mean, not three-point, have half-court competitions you know we always get excited about some fan coming out and trying a half court if he even gets close the crowd goes crazy what about the real professionals doing half court shots dame lillard made one during the game let's just do that do that do something where um i don't know where the ball where the rim is higher (laughs) all right do something where the rim is smaller the goal is smaller do something where i don't know i mean instead of all these fancy lights and everything make it fun for the players i mean again the nfl did they have the tug of war they have the ball contests they have flag football they you know it's better but clearly you're not going to have anything and if you really want to get it important do what baseball did years ago the winning team has home field advantage, home court advantage in the finals. So if the West wins and the Nuggets are in the final, it doesn't matter what their record is compared to say the Celtics. They get it. If the East wins and say the Celtics or Bucks or Sixers or Cavs are in the final, it doesn't matter if their record is lesser than the Nuggets whoever's come from the West. That's one thing. They're smart people in these leagues. But to go back to this old system without even that fourth quarter thing they had a couple years ago, I don't get it. Did they really think these players would play defense? Did Adam Silver, who looked just nonplussed about it, think players would play defense? Come on. Of course not. I mean, it's hard enough to get players there. And can you imagine all these players going to snowy and cold Indianapolis on All-Star break, while the rest of their peers who didn't make the All-Star team are certainly in Florida, or Texas, or California, or a beach, or an island. They're not freezing their butts off in Indianapolis. (laughs) So this was not a great scene for the players. And yes, we're not going to care if they don't care. I guess some people watched. I didn't watch, but I saw the score, and I just tweeted LOL. (laughs) I mean, it's like, okay, they're having fun. We don't, you know, they don't mandate we watch. But again, make it fun. Have bigs versus bigs, small versus small, whatever it may be. Okay, second thing I want to talk about. Referees. Referees in soccer. How about that? MLS is set to kick off Wednesday night with Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi. But guess what? They're not going to have MLS refs because the refs have a union, and the union's negotiating against the negotiating unit for the MLS and the NWSL and the USL. They can't get an agreement, right? It's not only the players that are labor. It is the referees. So the referees of soccer, MLS, will not be out there starting Wednesday night, and who knows how long it'll go. We've got a lockout. So what happens? It's a labor tool that management uses. I'll talk about in a minute how this is so familiar with the NFL where the MLS has locked out the referees as that are part of the union and they cannot ref. What are they going to do? They're going to get scabs. We can call them different names. They're replacement refs. Replacement refs will start the season for the MLS. Okay. This brings out so many memories of 12 years ago, the NFL with replacement refs. You may remember this. The NFL and the NFL RA, NFL Referees Association, were unable to come to agreement in 2012. Guess what happened? The NFL locked out their refs. It was a lockout, just like they locked out their players when the players couldn't come to an agreement with the CBA. The refs couldn't come to an agreement with CBA. They locked them out. And for a period of four weeks, there were replacement refs. Yes, there were replacement refs. We remember it, right? These are high school refs. They're not usually college refs because they don't want to burn their bridges by scabbing, so they got whoever they could. And then these incredible scenes that happened throughout these referee disputes about, you know, referees making bad calls. As a Packer fan, I completely remember the touchception where Seattle won a game where one ref had called it an interception by the Packers, where the other ref, who obviously overruled the other one, called it a touchdown for the Seahawks that won the game in the most ridiculous way possible. Okay. That's where we are with MLS. Will it get resolved? We'll see. Well, I don't, you know, it's usually about money, but it's also about benefits. It's about everything. With the NFL refs, it was about full time. The refs didn't want to be full time because they have other full time jobs that pay a lot of money. If the NFL was going to pay them like full time refs, like the Major League Baseball pays their refs, which play 10 times more games, or the NBA pays their refs, which play five times more games, the NFL refs would gladly be full-time, but that's not happening. So anyway, that got resolved after four weeks, and this one, we'll see how long it lasts. Last thing is you know my saying about sports owners and the best business plan known to man, which is privatize, profit, socialized cost. Well, we have another big example of that. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, is proposing a downtown stadium which is going to cost over a billion dollars. Guess what? He wants the city to pay for it, and the city is considering it. So again, the Chicago White Sox may be opening at some point a new spanking, brilliant, splashy stadium with public money. Of course, Reinsdorf's a billionaire. He's got the Bulls and the White Sox, but of course he wants the city to pay. What's his leverage? Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll leave. If anyone believes that, they tended to believe it in New York about the Bills. They tended to believe it about the Titans in Nashville. They tended to believe it about other stadiums throughout the country. We'll see if it works in Chicago. Owner's business plan in sports that works so often, privatize profit, but socialize cost. Okay, those are my rants before we get to my interview back and forth with Ross Tucker. And I talked about all things you need to know as you get ready for the business of the NFL. Now that we're in that offseason, we'll take you through it. We'll get you all caught up to speed. Without further ado, my chat with my colleague, Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker.
0: Always good to see his face and hear his voice. He is the host of the critically acclaimed Business of Sports podcast. Long-time friend of mine. Man, we used to talk every week. Now it feels like it's been... If I don't talk to him for a couple months, I feel like I haven't talked to him in forever. He's yeah. the great Andrew Brandt. If you're not following him on social media, you're really doing it wrong. At Andrew Brandt. Obviously... His newsletter is fantastic as well, and that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him on this week is because there were like six topics going on, whether it's franchise tag or cap casualties or avoidable years or the combine, where I kept saying, oh, that'd be a good topic for Andrew. Oh, that'd be a good topic for Andrew. Oh, man, I need to get Andrew on that. Well, ask and you shall receive. I've got him on the show. Andrew, always great to see you. Always great to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it has
1: been too long. I mean, for people don't know, Ross and I are old, old friends. Not I'm the old part. He's the frat part. <laughs> around 15 years since I left the Packers, one of my first uh, media gigs, I'm so uh, thankful to Ross. For people who know me now, a lot of it is due to Ross getting me on the air when I left the Packers. But yeah, this is our time. We talk about it every year. Um It's counterintuitive. But people who work in the business of football are busy when there are no games. So the Super Bowl's over. There's not a meaningful game for seven months. That's when it kicks in. This was true, Ross, as I tell you, when I was an agent, when I was a team executive with the Packers, and now covering this, analyzing it for the media, it's always the offseason that gets them the most busy. And like you said... We'll start today, if you want, by just sort of explaining what's going on right now in front offices around the league, if you want me to do that.
0: Yeah, let's do it, because it feels like they're sort of a natural thing. I feel like the first thing we're seeing, Andrew, is like the Bears cutting longtime starters, Cody White or Eddie Jackson. The Patriots, cut, like, I think I've i seen your tweets before. You have the, uh, what is it, the subtractions or the deletions before the additions, right? Yeah, and you know what? I remember when we were lucky
1: enough to advance to the championship game or deep in the playoffs, we'd have people saying, oh, We're getting behind. We're getting behind. I'm like, That's the whole goal. We want to advance to the Super Bowl. We're getting behind. Which that means is 2023 is over. Everyone's on to 2024. And for most of the teams not in the playoffs, for all of them, they were on it starting January 7th or whatever it was. So I'm not a scout. I never was. The scouting crew, here's what they're doing. They're grinding right now between the All-Star Games and the Combine. So we're talking mid to late January to late February. That's the grind. That's where, at least in my experience with the Packers, they're putting the board together. So when we hear about the board, it's really being done in that one-month span where all the area scouts come in, everybody sits in that dark room, looking at players from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and that's when the board is, cha- is developed. And I don't think there are a lot of changes. Even with these combine freaks, maybe it goes up a little bit, not much. So that's what happens. Now, my area, cap and contracts. You're doing scenarios for the, the year. If we cut this player, what's it going to look like? Do we have guaranteed money left on that contract? What are we thinking about in free agency? If we bring someone in... How competitive would we be if there's an open market for this player? What about our tag? What about our exclusive rights player? Are we tendering all of them, meaning that we give them an offer, we still have their rights, or we let them go to free agency? What does it look like with extensions? And that's the combine usually meeting all the agents of players you want to get signed up and working on those contracts free free agency so you take them off the market, or players with the remaining years left that you just want to get done so it's a busy time in the off season for the front office, not for the coaches, not for the players, but for the front office.
0: How hard are the cap casualty conversations, Andrew? Because you know a lot of times when you're cutting players in the NFL, like at training camp, right? It's because they're not good enough, or you have better players, or whatever. You know, for the Bears, I saw where Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. Those are their two longest tenured players. So it feels like it's a little bit different when you're moving on from two guys that have been stalwarts for a long time.
1: Yeah, well, first on the business side, it's basically analyzing, okay, if you let them go, the salary goes away. Because as I talk about all the time, there are very few future guaranteed monies in the NFL. So what's going to be the cap impact? The cap is the money coming in on your contract on your cap. That's dead money, really money for no longer players, no longer on the roster. That's the proration that is remaining on the contract from the signing bonus that's prorated throughout those years. Once you cut a player, all that proration immediately accelerates on your cap. That's the business side. On the personal side, you're so right, Ross. It is tough when longtime players are let go. This is all, often a conversation with the head coach, with the position coach, with the general manager. How long have they known the player? What do they go through? And it's being phrased, as everyone knows, is we want to put you out on the market before the market opens in March so you can get signed quickly. It's tough. I mean, football is a tough business. You're talking about two players with the Bears, like you said. Their name's on the Bears for the past several years, and they're just moving on. Those are tough conversations, usually happening with those kind of teams that are retooling in a big way.
0: Then we have the franchise tag. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know, but before we get to the franchise tag, one thing that's been very popular in recent years that is being talked about a lot recently, especially in light of like the Buccaneers, you know, with uh, Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, is these void years, which I don't only really remember that being much of a thing when I was a player, Andrew, but now it's, very, very popular mechanism for spreading out some of the cap pain, correct? Yeah, let me explain to the audience.
1: Void years are dummy years. They're fictitious years. Why are they put in there? For what I just talked about, cap-peration. So when you do a signing bonus, say a $20 million signing bonus over five years, it's counted $20 million on cash year one, but only $4 million on cap. So it's $16 million cash over cap. So $4 million for year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. That's a real contract. Say you only want to sign the guy for a year or two, and this is Tom Brady, this is Baker Mayfield, this is Mike Evans to focus on the Bucks. Well, to get the cap impact of that $4 million over five years, you have to have five years. But you only want them two years. So after two years, there's a mechanism in the contract that automatically voids. This just happened with Mayfield and Evans. What does that mean? It ends. So what happens to the unamortized proration for years three, four, five? It accelerates. So you have a dead money hit, but the player's a free agent because there's an automatic void. So you're putting on years that are fictitious. There's no way they're going to happen because whether the player or the team— They can't do anything about it. The contract says as of February 15th, in year three, the contract ends. So it's just a mechanism around. And the reason, Ross, is because teams get so tight against the cap that they push out the pain and they're willing to take it, in these cases, in year three of a contract or year two of a contract that was fictitiously set to go five years.
0: Isn't this a great example, Andrew, of why... The cap is both a real thing and not a real thing in the sense that, like, you can always create cap space for that year if you want to. You can do restructure guys. You can do void years like you can make it work for that year. But then when when you don't you know, when you have to when the void years aren't picked up, well, then you got to pay the piper.
1: Yeah, I mean, I talk about this all the time. I get these questions. Caps are real. The cap is real if you're concerned about more than one year. Let's just say it that way. If you think that the world's going to end next year, fine. You can do anything you want on the cap. But if you think the world's going to go on and you want to be there, you know, you got to be protective. And I know I'm more conservative and was with the Packers than other teams because I always felt that You know, I lived in an era where we knew Brett Favre was going to retire, so I wanted to make sure we had a good team around him. But speaking of the Packers, okay, so last year they took on $41 million for Aaron Rodgers, who was playing for the Jets, right? So what did they do? They had an extremely young team, the youngest team in the league. So you balance those things, and it's not a coincidence, right? The Packers went into 2023. We're going to be hitting this big old cap hole with Rodgers. We need a young team, and they performed. You've got to be good at scouting. You've got to be good at coaching young players because the teams with big cap holes, dead money, have to have young players be productive.
0: I'm always productive, Andrew, when I'm drinking Labatt Blue Light. Absolutely delicious. Highly recommend drinking Labatt Blue Light like I do, especially on the weekends. Always new responsibly beer. Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You know, it's interesting because the Packers conversation kind of leads us to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the franchise tag. Now, they're not there with Jordan Love because of the unique deal they did a year ago, but the franchise tag window has now officially opened up, Andrew, and teams are able to tag guys, and I despise The franchise tag, I despise the entire concept of it, you know, and I know it's something that was collectively bargained, all that stuff. To me, it's like, when your contract is over, like everybody else in the world, you should be able to, you know, see what the market is for your services, and I think you pretty much can't. I'm not aware of any other industry, actually, where when your contract expires, you're still not necessarily able to market your services. You're singing my song. I
1: say it every year. People cannot overestimate the power of the tag. And I know people will say, including the union, when I've had these discussions with them, Ross, well, it's only a few players a year. Answer is that no. No. Two things. Number one, people like me who negotiated for years, I never applied the tag. I use the tag in negotiations every year. Because if a player wasn't going to take the deal we wanted, we had in our box. Back pocket the tag. The other thing is it holds down salaries for the entire league because if you're restricting the top, then the trickle-down effect. The Beige League Baseball doesn't have it. National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, and NBA, they don't have it. You're you're so right. You can take your best free agent off the market. Now, don't tell me about two number ones. That never happens. So... The power of the tag is an extremely important weapon, and as I say every year, Ross, teams would rather date than marry. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it's year to year, you get older, you know how short these careers are, you could get injured, you could have a downturn in performance. So yes, the tag window is open, and, and you know this league is deadlines per action, so we probably won't see most of the tags, until that Tuesday or Monday where the tag period ends. But it is a powerful weapon, collectively bargained since 1993, and the union has not gotten it out of there. I don't know if they ever will.
0: No, I don't think they will. And I'll tell you why, Andrew. It's almost like the NFLPA needs two unions, right? Yeah. Because someone like me, who made the minimum five of my seven years in the NFL, right, and was never anywhere close to being a franchise tag player, I would not be happy. But I was very involved in the union stuff, very much aware of what was going on. I would not be happy if I felt like our negotiating uh, leverage, you know, if that was being used for the franchise tag stuff. Because in my mind, why are we so worried about the super rich guys that are already rich, like how about the rest of us? How about the other 1500 you know that are making the minimum? I don't want to expend, you know, negotiating capital on the franchise tag. I want to increase the minimum. I want better benefits. And so uh, you know, there's just too many, there's just too wide a disparity, and there's way more have- nots than there are have that are voting on these things.
1: It's really interesting when you say that because I always say there's nothing like this. pick and pick a profession, like you said, uh, steel workers, engineers, shipbuilders, electricians, those unions don't have one pa- one part of the union making 30 to 50 million a year, another part making 800,000. That just doesn't happen. Sports unions are a complete anomaly. I talk about this in my sports law class. It's just a way for management to get immunized from these things like a cap, a draft, franchise tags. And you're right. It, it is an anomaly. We talk about this with running backs, how they are treated so poorly based on their short career compared to other positions. But it is the way it is. So uh, maybe you and I will start a union for <laughs> the regular guys down the road.
0: How about a what? What a blessing for the Raiders, isn't it? Uh, and a Jimmy G tested positive for PED. I mean, it, he, he just saved them twelve and cost himself almost twelve million bucks. I would love to know what he took, and maybe we'll find out. But like, wow, and that's a big mistake. Yeah, and quick explanation:
1: he had eleven million dollars salary, which they can, which they can void now. It was guaranteed for twenty twenty four. Contracts say pretty regularly that if you test positive, if you have a suspension, they can void, the team can void, it's the word we use, future guarantees, invalidate them. So now he has an existing contract going forward, but it's not guaranteed. So basically he doesn't have an existing contract going forward. And like you said, the Raiders were just presented with an $11.25 million gift from the gods that he tested positive And what a, Sad ending with the Raiders' relationship for Jimmy G. And again, Aaron Rodgers, I mentioned him early in the podcast. He was out there last year. They chose Jimmy G. And uh, now they get out of the contract as they move forward.
0: Andrew, any takeaways from the two Super Bowl press conferences for Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, and uh, Lloyd Howell, the NFL PA?
1: Yeah, Ross, I thought Goodell, the one question that really got my attention was The streaming is now, you know, we have a wildcard game with Peacock. It's going to be with Amazon next year. What about streaming for even future, even up to the Super Bowl? And he said, no, no, Super Bowl never on my watch, which makes sense. He's only four years in if he's not extended. But this streaming thing is interesting because we've now kind of accepted, okay, we're going to have a streaming game in wildcard. A couple years, divisional round. A few years after that, maybe championship game. And yes, we could have a Super Bowl stream, not any time in this decade. But this is just the slow creep of non-linear television. On the other side, Ross, Lloyd Howell, I really wanted to see what kind of leader he is going to be. Of course, he follows the regal Gene Upshaw and the combative Tamari Smith. The new leader of the union, to me, the word I describe is very corporate. He comes from Booz Allen. He's going to fit right in with Roger Goodell, kind of a corporate non-revealing leader and he made it a priority to talk about the field so we'll see what his priorities are the last thing was not good Ross there he was talking about Deshaun Watson and referred to him as Deshaun Watkins uh you don't want the leader of the players (laughs) misremembering not misnoming names especially of the highest paid player in the league so those are my initial impressions
0: Wow, I don't even think I noticed that or I hadn't heard about that. That's a good nugget, Andrew. Check him out on social media. He's at Andrew Brandt. As you can tell, fantastic. If you don't listen to the Business of Sports podcast, you're missing out because it's fantastic. And again, Andrew, where can people sign up for your fantastic newsletter?
1: Yeah, every Sunday I come out with my Sunday 7. Just go to andrew-brandt.com and sign up there. Uh, You get every Sunday morning and all my thoughts and insights. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Ross. Always great. Always great to talk with Ross. You know, we have this uh, kinship over the years through our podcasts and the same network. Happy to do it. And I hope you learned a lot from me. I hope you enjoyed my interview there with Ross. Thanks for listening. As always, try to make it a unique podcast you can't find anywhere else. My newsletter, andrew-brandt.com. My uh, Twitter, Andrew Brandt, of course, reels on Instagram at Andrew Brandt2, columns at Sports Illustrated. Yes, still operating. The death of SI has been greatly exaggerated. And of course, always here on the Business of a Sports podcast, share it with a friend, give us a rating if you would, and tell me how much you do or don't like it. I always enjoy reading those comments. Thanks to producer Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt, that music you hear under us. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.